All right. Thank you for sharing, Sonia. At this time, uh, we are going. I'm going to introduce our guest speaker. Want to welcome the uh, 7 p.m. bus. I think you guys arrived just now. Woo! Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have actually three. We are blessed with three guest speakers for this retreat. Uh, because the uh, guest speaker, uh, Pastor Benjamin, is married to a dynamic minister. Every time we invite either Pastor Sonny or Pastor Benjamin, we get two for one. <laughs> uh, but one of our Bible studies, um, past, in December, Pastor Benjamin's mentor, Pastor Robert Daniels, got to visit Korea for the first time. And he came and he worshipped with us at New Philly and he spoke at New Philly. It was a powerful time. And one of our Bible studies, they decided to collect money and pay for Pastor Robert Daniels' ticket if he was available to fly him in also for the retreat. And so they gathered money and uh, we asked Pastor Daniels if he's able to join us and he, and he said he is. He actually has to go to Louisiana right after this retreat to speak uh, there. Uh, but he made time to come all the way out here to Korea to join us for this retreat. And on Sunday, uh, he's going to be speaking for us uh, to kick off our three-year celebration. Uh, here tonight, we have all three campuses represented. This is a very special uh, retreat for uh, New Philly. Uh, this is a big homecoming and reunion. And uh, we also have a bunch of guests, and we'll welcome them later. But right now... Uh, I want to introduce our guest speaker. His name is Pastor Benjamin Robinson. He's the senior pastor of Living Hope Christian Center out in Emeryville, California. He is also the senior pastor of The Ark, which is a church out at UC Berkeley. And he is also Pastor Aaron and myself. He is our spiritual father. And he has just taken us to new levels, has blessed us in amazing ways. And so without further ado, let's put our hands together for Pastor Ro Benjamin Robinson. All right. Amen. How's everybody doing? You doing good? Very happy to be here tonight, and I'm so happy to have actually... Living Hope Christian Center and the Ark are represented here today. Uh, first of all, Mickey Cho from Living Hope Christian Center. Stand up. He's one of the patterned sons of the house. And we've got Lana Choi from Ark Ministry. Stand up. She's one of the patterned daughters of the house. So very, very thankful to be here. We're learning that there can be more than one patterned son and patterned daughter. Um, <clears throat> very happy to be here tonight. Uh, of course, my wife and baby, uh, Alethea, are here. And uh, Alethea, when she got here and saw this retreat center, she looked at my wife and said, I don't want to go home. So don't you dare take me home. I, I'm having too much fun here. Uh, so we're very happy. And, of course, our spiritual father, Robert Daniels is here. 
Pastor Robert Daniels. <clears throat> what I love about traveling anywhere with him is that I get uh, I get a deposit and impartation from his life uh, that you just can't spend time in his presence and not receive an impartation. He's not trying to give it, but you can't help but receive it. He can't help but give it. Because he, he is consistent through and through. He's the same man. He doesn't have a platform persona and, a, and an everyday persona. He's the same man through and through. And so I receive always a download of revelation and an impartation of supernatural grace whenever I'm in his presence. And so I'm very thankful for that tonight. New Philadelphia. New Philadelphia. I can't tell you how much we love you. And I can't tell you how much God loves you. And I can't tell you how much favor is over you in the Spirit. I can't tell you what a time this is for you, what a season this is for you. The word over the, of the Lord over you is so clear. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. See, some of you are still waiting for some glory to arise upon you before you rise and shine. But I'm declaring by the word of the Lord that your light has come. I know you look outside and it still looks like darkness. Pastor Robert has been saying, every new day begins in the dark. Every new day begins in the dark. The light reveals what already has been in existence for six hours. Every new day begins in the dark. You can just, listen, some of you are still looking at the calendar. You turn to the next day. Turn to the next day at midnight. It looks dark. What has happened has not yet been revealed by the morning light, but it's already done. It's already happened. It's time for you to begin to arise. And the Scripture says that we have the prophetic word. It's like a light shining in darkness until the day dawns. That means the prophetic word comes at midnight and says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. But the day doesn't dawn till 6 a.m. You look outside and it still looks dark, but you've got the prophetic word that's like a light shining in darkness. And I'm saying that God begins to reveal things before they become apparent in the natural realm. Before you see the fruit of it, God says you're fruitful. Before you see the result of it, God says it's done. The door still looks shut to you, but God says it's an open door. It looks like the gates of bronze are shut, but God says I've opened them up. God has already cleared the path. You don't have to see it in the natural. God says arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness will cover the earth. And deep darkness the people, but the, but the Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon you. Kings shall come to your light. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They all come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at, at your side. Then you shall look and become radiant and your face Will, your, fate, your countenance will be covered with joy for the abundance of the seas will be turned to you and the wealth of the Gentiles will come to you. This is the season that you're in. I hope you're getting the increase of this season. I hope you're meditating on Isaiah 60 and just turning that, those, the verses of that chapter over and over again in your spirit because when you begin to meditate on the Word of God, you begin to condition your mind to believe it before you see it. Now, the Lord has been speaking about doing a new thing, and, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. The Lord has been talking about doing a new thing. Even during worship, a prophetic song came out. Uh, we agree with what you're doing. You're doing a new thing. 
We agree with what you're doing. You're doing a new thing. And I want to, I want to uh, affirm and agree with that word tonight that God is getting ready to do a new thing. And in fact, He's already begun to do a new thing. He's already begun shifting you into new seasons. And God does not hesitate. God does not hesitate to do a new thing over New Philly because He knows that New Philly is a house that knows how to shift quickly. When the word of the Lord comes and says, you're going right now, New Philly shifts and starts going right. And when the word of the Lord comes and says, okay, now it's time to turn around and go left, New Philly shifts immediately and goes left. You know, when somebody puts on Pastor Christian's Facebook wall, we're going back to the Davidic. The whole house says, okay, you just announced yesterday that we're in the Solomonic, but if that's what you say, that's where we're going. The house just knows how to shift, and so... But, but let me tell you how powerful that is. It's so powerful that God says, when I see a house that's willing to shift when I say shift, and move when I say move, and stop when I say stop, and, and back up when I say back up, when I see a house that's able to shift with me and move with me, there's nothing that I can't do in and through that house, because I know that that house is going to be obedient to me. Remember when God took Abraham to the mountain and said, I want you to give me your son, your only son. And he lifted the sword, he lifted the the dagger over Isaac, and the angel of the Lord said, stop, by myself I have sworn. He said, I swear by myself that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. Why? Because you did not withhold from me your only son. You were willing to shift when I said shift. You were willing to give when I said give. And it was all a test to see if you would obey me. And because I see that you're going to obey me and move, when I say move, I swear by myself that in blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply you. I'll make your descendants like the sands of the sea. Like I'll make your descendants like the dust of the earth, like the stars of the sky. So that if anyone could count the stars, then Abraham's children could be counted. And whenever God sees a house that's willing to shift when he shifts and move when he moves, whenever he sees that he has sons and daughters that are obedient sons and daughters, then he says, I'm going to make you fruitful. He says, I'm going to make you fruitful. He said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, For I have known Abraham, that he might command his children in the way of righteousness, so that the Lord might bring to him everything that he promised him. He said, I've known Abraham. I know, I know that he's going to command his children in the way of righteousness. And because of that, I can bring to him everything that I've promised him, so I'm not going to withhold any good thing from him. And what I'm saying is that the pleasure of the Lord is resting over you tonight. And God is getting ready to do a new thing. But we have to understand the character of the new thing that God is getting ready to do. Because if we don't understand the character of it, we'll be looking for the new thing in the old places. And when we're looking for the new thing in the old place, we miss the new thing. (laughs) Okay, we're going somewhere tonight. Now now check this out. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. You don't have to turn there. It says, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 says, there's nothing new under the sun. But Isaiah 43, 19, God says, behold, I do a new thing. How do we reconcile those two verses of Scripture? There's nothing new under the sun. Behold, I do a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Behold, I do a new thing. This is the revelation that God is beginning to unfold before us. There's a difference between the protocol of the original creation and of the new creation. 
God said in Isaiah 65 that He's bringing about a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And He commanded us to begin to rejoice in that new creation. But when, when God goes about bringing into being the new creation, He doesn't do it the way He brought about the old creation. The original creation was done was brought about ex nihilo, out of nothing. He had nothing to work with. And so he spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't take particles floating around and put it together and make light. It wasn't creativity. It was creation. The old creation or the original creation was ex nihilo, out of nothing. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. He speaks the sun, moon, and stars into existence. He speaks the earth into existence. He speaks the creatures into existence and the, the trees and, and the vegetation and the fish. He speaks it all into existence. The protocol of the original creation was ex nihilo, out of nothing. But in the new creation, God is not bringing about something out of nothing. He's taken the old thing that has decayed and deteriorated because of lust and because of sin. And He renews it. He restores it. Really, new creation is recreation. Let me tell you why that's important. Because when God begins to speak to believers about doing a new thing or bringing about a new creation, the first thing we think is that He's going to do something ex nihilo. I don't have any money. God's going to rain money down from the sky. Right? I don't have a wife. I don't, and I don't, I don't know any women. I'm not friends with any women. He's just going to drop a woman out of the sky. I don't have a job. A job is just going to drop out of the sky. We're looking for some ex nihilo. And, and when we start thinking old creation mentality, ex nihilo mentality, we're already walking in unbelief. Because in order to think that way, we have to think there's nothing in my life that's of any value or significance to God. And we've actually been taught that. There's nothing in me that's good. And we forget that Paul said, that is in my flesh. He qualified that. In me dwells no... He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. He, he says, let me qualify that so that you don't think that you can be a believer in Jesus Christ, saved by the blood of the Lamb, indwelt by the Spirit of the living God and still say there's no good thing that dwells in you, do you not realize that that is a denial of the indwelling of the presence of God in you? You're waiting for the new creation to come, some new creation, some new work of the Spirit of God. Behold, I do a new thing. You are the new thing. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. It's not about you getting a new job. It's The new creation is not about the people who used to not like you suddenly like you. It's not favor with your parents. 
It's not suddenly you found a wife and you were single, you thought you would never... You are the new creation. The new creation is the transformation of your very being. We're going somewhere. But when God begins to work out that new creational reality, see, the problem is the new creation begins as an internal reality. In the original creation, God creates the garden first, the environment. And then He puts the man in this perfect environment. No wrestling. He, you know, we've talked about uh, ruling your spirit. Adam didn't have to rule his spirit. Why? Because what he saw outside was in perfect conformity to what was inside. Inside was the presence and power of God. How did God create Adam? He formed him out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam's first moment of consciousness, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a face-to-face -face encounter with God, and that's what it meant to be human. We have too low of a view of what a human being is. To be human means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and standing in a face-to-face -face encounter with God. God takes this Spirit-filled man that was perfectly formed in the image of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and puts him in a garden, which was a, in an environment that perfectly conformed to his internal reality. There was no disparity between the internal and the external. So he, he, there was no, no battling, no warfare in the Spirit. He didn't have to govern his mind or, you know, he didn't have to battle his thinking. There was no battlefield of the mind. Nothing like that. His thoughts and what he saw were in perfect conformity. He didn't have to even walk by faith. It was all sight. But in the new creation, he takes a human person completely renews him in the inside and puts him in the old world that does not yet conform to what's on the inside. So now the old world begins to exert pressure on the new creation. And you start getting discouraged because everything's changed inside, but you go back home and nothing has changed. Your family's the same. And you open up your bank account and, and you, you're, you're still broke. You look in the mirror and you're still ugly. <laughs> you got so full of the Spirit you thought, I'm going to knock them dead now. You see in that commercial where the guy calls his girlfriend and she says, I told you I broke up with you. He says, no, no, no. I got the new Sprint calling plan now. That was with my old phone. You know, it's like, nothing's changed. <laughs> and so the new man is in the old world. What you see on the outside is a direct contradiction of what God has done on the inside. And now you have to rule your spirit. Now you have to take every thought captive because your thoughts want to run after the old world and say everything that's happened on the inside of you is foolishness. It was just an emotional experience at some altar. You were manipulated by some religious fanatics 
And that's all that happened. Look around. You live in the real world. But when you step into the Spirit of God, you confess that that's not the real world. The real world is the new creation that happened on the inside of you. And when you begin to see into the Spirit, you begin to see the real world. So how does God bring about the new creation? When God says, I'm getting ready to do a new thing, what does He do? He starts by causing us to recognize that the ingredients of the miracle are already in your life. Peter says, He's given you everything necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who's called you by His own glory and goodness. And through these, meaning His glory and goodness, He's given you His very great and precious promises so that by them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through evil desires. You've been living in the realm of the, pro of the problem, but God wants to bring you into the realm of the promise. Peter says it's already done. You, you've already been given everything you need for life and godliness. It's already with you. And so when God goes to bring about a new thing in your life, He takes something that you already have and anoints it. Blesses it, makes it fruitful, increases it. And it's not about you going home and looking at what you have and saying, okay, what do I have here that's valuable? I think I have some valuable stuff here that I didn't realize was valuable. That's not even what it's about. God will take something that has no value and give it value. It's not about you recognizing things of value in your life that you previously didn't recognize. It's about God giving you revelation to show you what He's getting ready to anoint. Because the thing that you think is valuable in your life, He may not even be anointing that. How about Moses? I grew up in Egypt. I lived in Pharaoh's household. I'm called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I studied in their educational system and I got the best education that Egypt has to offer. I understand their economics, their politics, their history, their military strategy. I know how their government works. I understand their legal system. Now I am qualified to deliver Israel. So let me step in and lead the way to victory. And God says, nope, get out there in that wilderness for 40 years so that I can empty you of all of that junk. I'm not using any of it. And then when God comes to him and he meets God at the burning bush, God says, go back to, to Egypt and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And in chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses says, what if they don't believe me when I tell them that you appeared to me? He says, well, what's that in your hand? Wait a minute. Moses just asked God a question and God responded with the question. Moses says, how am I going to prove to them that I've actually encountered you? How am I going to prove to them that what you've done in my life is real? I'm going to go and tell people that I've had an encounter with the living God. How am I going to prove to them that, they, that, that you're real, that I really met you, that I've heard your voice? And God said, it's in your hand already. The answer to your question is in your hand already. While you're walking around feeling unanointed and unempowered, and, and it's already, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, and I love the way the Bible translators do, it's a rod. No, it's a stick. 
just a stick. It's not a, a wand. This is my magic, my magic rod. No, it's a walking stick. He found it on the ground in the desert. Shook off the dust and said, this will work. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's a worthless stick. God says, throw it down. Turns into a snake. Pick it up. God, you're tripping. Pick it up by the tail. Picks it up, turns back into a stick. God says, good, there it is. The, the stick of Moses just became the rod of God. And in verse 17, he said, with that stick, you're going to work miracles. The Egyptians are going to believe you because that stick you've been carrying around, no, it's not a, it's not a gold stick. There were no diamonds in the stick. It was just a stick. The only thing special about the stick is that God said, I'm going to anoint the stick. I'm going to take that stick and turn it into the rod of God. And all the way through the Exodus event, Moses is just holding out that stick. What do I do now? Throw the stick. He throws it. It eats, turns into a snake, eats up the Egyptian sticks. Okay, what are we going to do? Hold it. Hold that stick over the Nile. Holds it over the Nile. It turns to blood. What do I do? Hold the stick into the heavens. Points the stick into the heavens. And hail comes down. Just the stick. Moses is walking around with the stick. Ten plagues later, he still didn't get the point. Ten plagues later, he still thought it was just a stick. He thought, surely God's done anointing the stick. Surely there's a problem that the stick can't handle. We come to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army's coming, the Red Sea's here, and Moses cries. God, what are we going to do? And God goes, I told you to hold out the stick. And the waters part. Moses goes, man, when I found this stick in the desert, I had no idea that you could deliver a nation from another nation with a stick. Many of you here, you're already holding the stick. You just don't know it. God just has to give you revelation to show you that he's going to take that stick and empower you to deliver nations with that stick. I'm telling you, over the next couple days, God is going to begin to give revelation of the sticks that you've been carrying around. Stuff that's already in your hand. You just thought nothing of it. You've been devaluing everything you have and walking around crying and looking at everybody else and going, I don't have what she has. I wish I could do what he can do. And I don't have the gifts that he... Shut up! See, this evens the playing field. God doesn't use the gifted. He uses the surrendered. Moses was willing to surrender his stick. That's the only thing that made Moses special was God chose him and God chose his stick. And he surrendered his life and he surrendered his stick. If you surrender your life and your stick, God will use you. It's already in your hand. How about the prophet Elisha? I love this one. 
Second Kings chapter 4, a woman, a widow, comes to the prophet Elisha. She says, my husband was a righteous man, but he died, and he died broke. Matter of fact, he died in debt. And there's no declaring bankruptcy in ancient Israel. Because if you're in debt and you can't pay your debtors, they can show up at your house and take your children as slaves. So she says, my husband was a righteous man. He died and left us debt that we can't pay. And now the creditors are coming to take my two sons as slaves. And Elisha immediately responds, what can I do for you? Well, what do you think you can do for me? I need some money to pay my debt. <laughs> like, you know, what do you think? Uh, I pray for my eyes. You know, like, <laughs> I got pain in my back. What do you think? I need money. But he qualifies the question. He says, what can I do for you? He said, no, not like, what is your problem? I know what your problem is, but how can I help you? Meaning, uh, I need something to work with. This is not original creation. I'm not going to speak ex nihilo and command money to come from heaven. See, we've been doing that for too long in the body of Christ. Pray for me. I need money. Lord, I pray for Cassandra that you'd send money, that you'd send it from a direction that she does not know. Manifest dead presidents, I pray it in Jesus' name. We're trying to bring the old creation back. The prophet said, I can't help you unless I know what you got. What's in your house? This is what he says, what can I do for you? And the next thing he says is, what's in your house? She says, well, not much of anything. No, no, no. There's got to be something in your house. I just told you I was poor. I know you're poor, but poor people have something. Well, I got, I got this little, little jar of Wesson oil. Well, you know. It's half empty because I just fried some fish. Perfect. Go get as many vessels as you can possibly find and bring them back to your house. Go get as many vessels. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that little jar of Wesson oil and you're going to fill up all of those vessels. Thanks, prophet. Can, can you uh, direct me to the nearest credit union? The prophet of God says, by revelation, the answer to your question is already in your house. Mo God says to Moses, it's in your hand. Elisha says to the woman, it's in your house. You've walked past it every day and thought nothing of it. You've looked at it every day and determined that it's got no value to you. It's just... It's just a little bit of oil. But when revelation comes, you see that oil is more than just a little bit of oil. You see it as the answer to your problem. All of a sudden, revelation takes place, and the prophet Elijah says, Elisha says, go get vessels and fill them up with that oil. And pretty soon, she's filling vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel after vessel, big old Alhambra bottles of oil. I mean, she's filling up every kind of vessel she can possibly find with oil, and the oil doesn't run out until she runs out of vessels. When God begins to bring about supernatural multiplication, He'll keep going till you run out of vessels. See, God is simply looking for empty vessels who are willing to surrender to His revelation. Willing to surrender to... Listen, God is so ready to fill you. But you already got the little bit of oil at home. 
You just need revelation to see what to do with it. How about Jesus? I love Mark's version of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, somewhere in the 30s. He says, uh, where can we buy bread so that all of these people may eat? Now, the disciples think that Jesus has bad math. Has the Lord ever commanded you to do something that you couldn't afford? It's like, Lord, don't you know that we're broke? And the Lord might respond, son, don't you know that I'm rich? He says, how many loaves do you have? They said, well, we've got seven loaves and two fish. Good, bring them here. What do you got? What's in your midst? What's in your midst? With Moses, what's in your hand? With the woman, with Elisha, what's in your house? With Jesus, what's in your midst? It's either in your hand, or it's in your house, or it's in your midst. If it's in your hand, you possess it personally. If it's in your house, it could be in your family. If it's in your midst, it's in the church. See, we have been taught that humility means to recognize that I lack. And that's not humility, that's unbelief. Real humility recognizes that whatever I personally lack is in the house and in our midst. But together, we got everything we need. We're not lacking anything. The only point of humility is that I recognize that I can't do it all by myself on an island by myself. But if I'm in the house and if I'm in the midst, I got everything I need. I'm not missing anything. It's all there. Everything I need. Everything I need to fulfill the vision God has given me. It's in our midst and it's in the house and it's in me. If it's not in me, it's in the house. If it's not in the house, it's in our midst. So I'm simply looking around and saying, God, where is it? We need to stop praying, Lord, send it and start praying, God, where is it? Because what you've been asking God to send, He's already sent. You wonder why you pray day and night, Lord, send it, and there's no answer from the heavens. Because God will not do again that which He has already called, already called done. If He's already done it, He won't do it. He won't even entertain that conversation because it flows out of unbelief. Faith starts when we recognize that everything we need has already been given. New creation starts with the old creation. Now watch this in Isaiah chapter 60, in Isaiah 61 actually. In Isaiah 61, remember he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to open prison doors for those who are blind and who are bound and open the eyes of the blind and all of that stuff. Give them beauty for ashes, strength for weakness, the oil of joy for the spirit of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Then he goes on to say, They shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Then in the next verse it says, And they will rebuild the waste places 
and restore the desolations of many generations. Do you know what the new creation is? The new creation is when God raises up sons and daughters, recreates them from the inside out, and then sends them to the waste places and the places that have been devastated for generations and causes them to rebuild those waste places and makes them oaks of righteousness. They begin to flourish in the midst of places where there's been nothing but devastation. And God says, that's the display of my splendor. The display of God's splendor is when He takes something new and sends it to something old and brings something new out of something old. Are you hearing me? The, one of the greatest problems is that whenever God does something new, the people who are the recipients of the new thing look back at the people doing the old thing and ridicule them. And the people back there still doing the old thing look down on the people doing the new thing and ridicule them when God is trying to bring together generations and say, listen, there's stuff in your parents' generation that has been wasted that God doesn't want wasted. Stuff that has been devastated that God doesn't want devastated and says, I'm going to send you back to those waste places and you're going to rebuild them and restore them. And that is the new thing that I'm getting ready to do. How about the wedding at Cana of Galilee? We're out of wine. And notice Jesus doesn't say, set seven empty water pots before me. He says, what do you got? Well, we got water. Fill them with water. I'm going to take what you got, and what you got may be ordinary, but when I get done working with it, it's going to be extraordinary. What you have may be tasteless, but by the time I get finished with it, it's going to be tasty. It's going to have some flavor. Are you hearing me? I know you're looking at your life and saying there's not much flavor here, but God says, wait till I'm done with it. See, I'm just not done cooking. God is the chef, but the ingredients of your miracle are already in your kitchen. Already there. Already there. Now he says there in Isaiah 43, 19 and following, he says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Will you not perceive it? Meaning you can miss it. You can miss it. it can, the new creation, the new thing God is doing can go right past you. It can blow right past you and you miss it. And that's why he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I love this passage of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, when you read 1 Corinthians 2, I want you to notice the word know, knowledge. Look at this. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. He says, when I came to you, I made a decision to restrict my knowledge to that which comes through Christ. I didn't come to you bringing worldly wisdom and, and worldly knowledge and understanding. He says, for a purpose. Although Paul had a lot of it. But he says, I restricted my knowledge among you to that which came through Christ. And then he says, uh, he, he says in, in verse 6, We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
He says the rulers of this age had no access to the supernatural knowledge of what God was doing in Christ. Why? How come the, how come the rulers of this age couldn't have, couldn't have known it? Verse 9, But as it is written, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. You see what he's saying there in verse 9? You don't know anything. Your eyes haven't seen, your ears haven't heard, your mind hasn't... No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10. But God has revealed them through His Spirit. He says, none of you know anything, and then reverses it and says, all of you know everything. God has revealed them by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Look at this, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Just as the Spirit of a man is the receptacle of knowledge of that man, so the Spirit of God is the receptacle of knowledge of God. That is, your spirit is your inmost being. It is that aspect of yourself wherein all of the intimate knowledge of who you are resides. If you could get to your spirit, if you could get past your soul and to your spirit, you would come to the place where all of the knowledge of yourself resides in your spirit. The problem is you get so so trapped in your soul, and the soul is, is eternal. And so if you're trying to plumb the, de the depths of the soul, you're stuck there forever. You can spend the next ten years processing the third grade. You can spend 20 years in a therapeutic process, and what therapy is, is simply the opening up of the soul. Tie a, a rope around your legs and jump and see if you ever stop. If you lived a thousand years, you could process the third grade for a thousand years and still discover new things about what you were feeling. And why your mom rejected you. And why your daddy didn't like you. And why he didn't approve. Of, or your teacher never gave you the right grade. And it was injustice and you carried that for the rest of your life. And that's why you killed all those people. Or whatever you did when you, you know... I mean, when, you know, whenever, whenever there's a, you know, mass murder, there's always a psychological, always a soulish reason. This is what I was feeling. And this is what I was thinking. We spend so much time trying to understand ourselves, but Paul says it's the spirit of the man that knows what's in the man. That is, if we could just transcend the soul and get into the spirit, we'd know who we are. The problem is we can't transcend the soul by ourselves. Watch this. He says, just as the spirit of the man knows what's in the man, so the spirit of God knows what's in God. Only God's spirit knows the depths of what's in God. Spirit has to do with knowledge. Spirit is a vehicle of knowing. So that when God gave man a spirit, he gave him a means of knowing. Knowing at a level that goes deeper than the mind. Knowing at a level that goes deeper than the brain. Why? Because the brain processes that which is perceived in the physical world, but the spirit knows a reality that is deeper than the physical world. We're going somewhere. Now watch this. It's getting juicy now. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world... 
What is the spirit of the world? The receptacle of the knowledge of what's in the world. The spirit of the world is always enticing believers in Jesus Christ, saying, if you turn to me, I will reveal all of the secrets of this world to you. I'll give you street knowledge or, or book knowledge or this kind of knowledge or that kind of knowledge. And the spirit of the world is always trying to entice us with knowledge so that we get puffed up by it and think we know something. But Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love covers up. Look at this. We have received not the spirit who is from the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The Spirit we have been given, we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have already been given to us by God that we just didn't know we had. The stick in our hands, we didn't know it. The oil in our house, we didn't know it. The bread and fish in our midst, we didn't know it. It was there, but we need the Holy Spirit to begin to see it. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He begins to open our eyes and say, Look at the stick in your hand. Look at the oil in your house. Look at the bread and fish in your midst. You think something is missing. Nothing is missing. I know the word of the Lord went out and said that the wealth of the nations is coming to you. And that's the word of the Lord. Pastor Christian declared it. Let me tell you how the wealth of the nations is coming to you. God's going to raise up the sons and daughters in this house and send you out to get it. You think your potential earnings won't exceed 3000 a month? God is able to take that 3000 a month and make it your tithe. Come on, somebody. Are you with me tonight? Now, Paul said that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're sons of God. That is, when God gives you the Spirit, He doesn't put the Spirit doesn't reside in your soul. That's where we want Him to be, because I want to feel Him. I don't feel the Spirit, which is an emotional response. I don't get that tingly feeling. You know, you know something's revelation when you feel that little tingle. The hairs are standing up on the back. Ooh, that was deep. That was, well, that was good. That was deep. That, mmm. But Paul said the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That is, when God gives us the Spirit, He takes His Spirit and puts Him in our spirit, which means He takes the knowledge of who He is and joins it with the knowledge of who we are. And at the moment He gives us His Spirit, He gives us both the knowledge of who we are and who He is. All of a sudden we see both God and ourselves in a different light and our eyes are open and we begin to see with revelation. But then Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 and following. He said, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love for all of the saints, I've not stopped praying for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. I pray that you would begin to see or that you might know what is the hope of His calling, what, are the exceeding, what is the exceeding riches of His inheritance in the Beloved, 
and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. All three of those realities that Paul says come from Revelation are already with you. The hope of his calling, he's already called you. The, the riches of his glorious inheritance, you're already partakers of it. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, it's already toward us. The only difference is when we begin to receive revelation by the Spirit, we begin to see what we already have. We begin to know what God's already given us. We begin to know what's already in our midst. We begin to look at the things in our hands differently, and we start to pray different prayers. God, show me what you're anointing. Show me what you're blessing. Instead of spending all your time praying, Lord, break this off me and break that off me, all you're conscious of is what's wrong with you. Lord, I got the spirit of this and the spirit of that. And remove the spirit of this and remove this. You should be praying, God, show me what's in, your, in my hand. Show me what's in my house. Show me what's in our midst. Show me where it is. I know that you put everything in me necessary for life and godliness. Listen, because we're so blind to what we got, that's why we keep eating from the things that are wrong. We eat from the wrong tree because we don't know that the right tree's already in our midst. You want deliverance from the wrong tree? Let God give you revelation to see the right tree. That's the only deliverance you need because when you start eating from that right tree, you won't even think about that wrong tree anymore. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm saying that God wants to give you a new perspective. It's already with you. It's already in you. It's already among you. It's already in your house. It's already in your midst. You've already got it. You've already received it. He's simply sending His Spirit to give you a deeper knowledge of what you've already got. It's already, there. it's already there. Tonight, you're going to drop that lack mentality. You're going to drop that emptiness mentality. You're going to drop that bondage mentality. You're going to drop that brokenness mentality. You're going to drop that victim mentality. You're going to drop it tonight. You're going to let that go tonight and begin to declare that God's getting ready to do a new thing. But listen, that new thing begins when you start to think a new thing. That new thing always starts when you're renewed in the spirit of your mind. When you're transformed by the renewing of your mind and you start thinking differently because if you're thinking old world mentality, old creation mentality, you're just thinking God's going to have to rain it down from the sky. I'm telling you that God isn't raining anything more down from the sky. He's not creating anything else ex nihilo. Now He's taking what's in your hand. He's taking what's in your house. He's taking what's in your midst and He's anointing it. And in this next season, God's going to anoint some crazy stuff. God's going to anoint some stupid stuff. Listen, Paul said, it, Paul said right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14, he said, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That word natural in the Greek is psukikos. It means soulish. It comes from the word psukes, which means soul. The soulish man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The soulish man is imprisoned by the natural. He only sees what's natural. He only thinks in the natural. He only thinks God could bless the things that he would bless. Because if I look at it and it has value in my eyes, then I say, okay, God, go ahead and anoint it. And God says, I'm not looking at what's valuable in your eyes because what's valuable in my eyes is different. Remember, Samuel looked at all the sons of Jesse and said, surely this is the servant of the Lord. But God said, Samuel, put your oil down. You're looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. I found among the sons of Jesse one who is after my own heart. And he's not in the house. He's out in the field. He's not wearing nice clothes. He's smells like the sheep and he's got dirt and twigs in his hair you call in that little ragamuffin and anoint him he's the one 
God's going to anoint some people that you think are ridiculous. You need to shift your mind. Some of the folks God's getting ready to anoint, you're going to say, God, are you on, on drugs or something? I mean, do you not see? Are you sure you want to anoint that person? And God is going to say, excuse me, my name is G-O-D, not you. You got to get your mind ready. You got to get your mind and you got to shift out of that way of thinking that says, well, I know the Lord can't use me in that way. God is going to use you and he's got a specific way he's going to get use you. But the revelation is in the house. I'm saying the revelation is in the house and you've got to shift your mind into gear and begin to say in your heart and mind, God is now releasing the revelation of who I am. The scripture said of John the Baptist was that he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Some of you don't know who you are because you've just been in the wilderness for so long. The day of your manifestation hasn't come. But I'm saying that the day of your manifestation is drawing nigh. God is saying, I've been preserving you and I've set you aside. But the time is coming when I'm going to reveal what I've done in your life. When I'm going to reveal what I've set you aside to do. I'm saying the day of your manifestation is coming and it's time for you to get ready. Are you hearing me? It's time to get ready. It's time to get ready. I'm telling you, God is doing a new thing. He's getting ready to display His splendor in a way. And this is the key. His splendor is always on display in the heavens. But now it's about to be manifested in the earth as it is on the heaven, in the heavens. Meaning when God begins to reveal His glory, He does not just at that moment become glorious. So why do you think when He begins to reveal the glory that's in you, that you just at that moment became glorious? As soon as a little favor happens in your life, you think, I just got some favor. You always had His favor. As soon as a little money comes, I just got blessed. You always had His blessing. I'm telling you, you got to think differently and stop depending on what you see manifest. It's in the Spirit now. And you got to begin to see it. I'm telling you that midnight has struck in God's economy. The calendar has already turned to the next day. You're still thinking you're in the last day where you're waiting for something to happen. But I'm saying that the prophetic word has come like a light shining in darkness until the day dawns. You're going to believe it. I don't care if the day hasn't dawned for you yet. You've received the prophetic word and it's like a light shining in darkness and until the day dawns. You say, until my faith becomes sight, I've got the prophetic word and it's a light shining in darkness and stop waiting for an individual word over your life. Now God is speaking over the house. He's speaking over the people. He's not... Listen, you're getting ready to go to the level where speaking a prophetic word over an individual will be ridiculous. There's going to be so many thousands of you out there. You won't even be able to think, oh, I hope I get a word. Please look around. There's 10,000. But God is going God can speak over a whole nation and over a whole people and it's to each and every one of you individually. I'm saying you got the word now. I'm not saying there won't be no more personal prophecy. Don't get me wrong. You can still do that. Cuz I got to be careful with Pastor Christian. He'll shift the whole house around that. <laughs> okay, no more personal prophecy. <laughs> That's because he's a good son. I tell you what, you will learn sonship from watching your pastor. He's a good son. He's a powerful son. If you, if you learn to be a son, if you follow his example, you'll be powerful sons. Powerful. And I'll tell you why. Because I can shift him with a word. Can he shift you with a word? 
Do you hear what he said last Friday night at Friday Fire? He said he was reading my Facebook and he thought, I hope Pastor Benjamin doesn't bring this here. He said, because this is a direct contradiction of our mission statement. What is that man talking about? No more warfare. I talked to him on the phone and he shifted his heart in a 15-minute conversation. Can I say that some of you he's been pleading with for months and you still won't shift? I've never had to plead with him. Ever. I speak a word over his life and say, no, it's not left, it's right. And he goes, oh, I thought it was left, it's right. (laughs) He shifts that quick. If you can shift as fast as he shifts, nothing can stop you. That's how powerful you are. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. I need some meditational music. (laughs) We're not hoping the anointing comes. The anointing is here. We're not hoping the power comes. Hope is for the soul. The author of Hebrews said, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Hope is necessary when the soul needs to be anchored, but once the soul is anchored, when God moves us past it and into the Spirit, now we can stand in faith. Now we can operate in faith. And for too long, we've misunderstood what it means to walk by faith. The way we've determined, the way we've defined walking by faith is is actually more... (laughs) more of the old mentality than the new because whenever somebody's broke they say I'm just walking by faith lost my job but now I'm walking by faith whenever somebody says they're walking by faith you know they just lost something it's a way of saying I'm lacking but I'm just believing and I'm telling you that God is, is shifting our definition of what it means to walk by faith doesn't mean you're lacking something. We're so afraid of the whole concept of walking by faith because we think it means that God's going to take away everything. I'm saying you went through a season of sacrifice. But God wants you to know that sacrifice is primarily an outer court activity. Because see, in the outer court, all they had was the brazen altar where the sacrifices happened. And the golden laver where the washings happened. The outer court is the place where the children play. Nothing happens there but washing and sacrifice and washing and sacrifice and washing and sacrifice and washing. That's where so many believers live, washing and sacrifice. But when you go beyond the outer court and go into the inner court, there's the table of showbread, which is called the bread of the presence. You can taste it. The light of the lampstand light bringing revelation you can see it in the inner court you go beyond washing and sacrifice now you begin to taste and see that the Lord he is good you begin to eat of the bread of the presence and see with the light of revelation but you know what God wants to take you even beyond the inner court and even beyond the presence into the holy of holies the throne room Because the scripture says that he's enthroned between the cherubim. There was no seat, no chair in the entire tabernacle of Moses, except one. 
the mercy seat, and the only one who sat on it was God. It's the throne, the throne of grace. The priests were never seated. They had to make the same sacrifices year after year, which could never take away sins. And so many believers in Jesus Christ live as though we're Old Testament priests. We've got to keep making sacrifices and sacrifices and sacrifices. We're afraid to hear from God because every time He speaks, He's taking something from us. Every time God speaks, I'm, I want you to give me this, and I want you to give me that, and I want you to give me this, and I want you to give me that, and I'm taking this from you, and we're afraid to like anything because we think if we like it, God's going to call it an idol and ask us to give it to Him. But the author of Hebrews said that we have to learn how to come before the throne of grace with boldness. The throne of grace, that is the Holy of Holies. It's beyond the presence of God because when you come into the presence, God visits you here on the earth. But when you come before the throne, you visit Him in the heavens. And God wants to do more than visit you on the earth. He wants you to visit Him in the heavens. That is, He wants to take you up to a higher place. And you come before the throne of grace not to give but to receive. You've already surrendered everything in the outer court when you were children. You come before the throne of grace to receive grace. To receive. Tonight, that's where you've come. You've come to receive. God is not asking you for a sacrifice tonight. You already are the sacrifice. And Jesus has already made the sacrifice. But He's calling His sons and daughters, His children, to come before Him. To come to the throne of grace tonight. To press into a place that's deeper than the place where you've been. And to press not through your striving. Not through your wanting. Not through your hoping. But simply to press your heart to believe that everything I have, He's already given me. It's in me. It's in my hand. It's in my house. It's in our midst. I'm telling you that you are excellent. He's made you an eternal excellence. He's made you a joy of many generations. He said, though you were despised and rejected with no one going through you, yet I will make you an eternal excellence and a joy of many generations. He said, instead of bronze, I will give you gold and silver instead of iron. Instead of, instead of iron, I will give you silver and bronze instead of wood. He said, the least of you shall become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. you got to stop looking in the mirror and seeing just one. you got to look in the mirror and see a thousand. And see at least a thousand. And if you have the faith to see a thousand, then ask for the faith to look in the mirror and see a mighty nation. To see that God has put more in you than you think. More in you than just the resources you need to get you by. So long we, we spend our time believing for me, for my money, and, and for my situation. And God is saying, I put nations in you. But you got to begin to believe it. you got to begin to see it. Father, I pray tonight for a release of supernatural revelation.